Down low, Giannis pokes it away. Swing it out to Hill. Connaughton, lobbed to Giannis, slam it! Pat Connaughton set him up at the rim. Giannis grabbed it, nailed it to the wood. Way back, get up, get out of here, go! Rainbows high and deep. Touchdown, Wisconsin! And this game is underway with a bang! This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I don't know about you, I had a blast last night. I had a wonderful time watching the Bucks Rockets. Now, the more I talk to people, the more I hear people uh, in the national media, talk to friends, go on Twitter, go on Facebook, whatever. People who maybe aren't Bucks fans, aren't Rockets fans, they were disappointed last night. I don't know why. 108-94, the Bucks win. It was a slow start, but after that, they ran away with it. It was about a 20-point deficit for eh, the second half of the third quarter into the fourth. Giannis actually rested a lot of the fourth quarter as well, and this was built up, right? This was MVP versus MVP. One of the closest races we've seen in years. The the closest race that I can remember. And last night was supposed to decide it all, right? These two titans going at it. These two behemoths, these MVP candidates were going to clash, and we were supposed to magically decide who the MVP was last night. Well, it, it didn't turn out that way. Wouldn't it have been simple If it would have played out that way, it didn't. Neither Giannis nor James Harden having incredible nights, both having good nights. Neither one of them were poor uh, by any standards, but not great, not MVP performances, at least by their standards, by Giannis standards, by Harden standards. We talk about all the time. Aaron Rodgers had a bad year by his standards. How many times have we heard that the last couple of years? Same kind of deal. They had good games. Giannis had 19 points, 14 rebounds. Harden was okay to, I mean, compared to his normal scoring, uh, very quiet night, only 23 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. He had a little bit, uh, he he seemed to focus on on moving the ball a little bit, did some rebounding as well, getting close to a triple-double. But neither one of these players last night having a signature MVP performance, and everybody was whining today, acting like children, like they lost out on some matchup that we were promised, right? Eh. I had a good time. I'm a Bucks fan, <laughs> so they won. It was a fun game to watch. Let's talk about it. This is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Again Sports. You can find me on the Five Star Telecom Talking Text Line, 608-796-2558. I want to start with the Bucks today, because last night's game was huge. I think we learned a couple things, or maybe we were reassured of a couple of things that we already knew. I don't know if last night gave us anything else into the MVP conversation, other than the Bucs are the best team in the NBA, record-wise, regular season-wise. Now, the playoffs is everybody's 0-0 zero and zero again, right? The Bucs are the best team with the best record, and that helps Giannis more than it obviously helps James Harden. Let, let's say this. The Rockets win 108-94 last night, and Giannis and Harden have the exact same stat lines. I, I don't know if, if Harden could make the same argument that you could make about Giannis today because it's all based on team success, right? That's a big part of Giannis's MVP case. So I think this result does benefit Giannis, although I don't think it makes a strong case either way. I think it was kind of a wash last night. So for those of you looking for a clear, concise decision on the MVP race last night, we're going to have to wait just a little bit longer. The defense looked weird last night, didn't? All the conversation was about the Bucks' defense. And, and I'm someone who, who watches probably 90% of the Bucks' games. I might miss one here and there. You know, got something going on. I mean, 82 regular season games, let's be real. Do you actually watch 160 baseball games? Probably not. 
You probably miss a quarter or two of, of Packers football throughout the way. I, I probably watched 90% of the Bucks games. And, and last night I was tuned in for every second just because of the, the nature of last night's game. The defense that the Bucks were playing and the way that they were lined up last night was unlike anything that I had really ever seen. It almost looked like an inter... I don't want to say it looked like an intermural game. You know where you're not really going to close out that hard. You're not really going to sprint in to crash the boards. You're there to kind of have fun and you're saving your energy on the defensive end. That's what it looked like the Bucks were doing last night. Now, that could not be further from the truth. They had a very interesting strategy. And the more that we hear Coach Budenholzer speak about it, and Eric Bledsoe, who was the main factor in defending James Harden, he was the one matched up on James Harden for most of the time he was out there. Eric Bledsoe came up with this strategy of not lining up actually in between Harden and the basket, but shadowing him directly on the side. Right, standing perpendicular on his left side, forcing Harden to dribble with his right hand. Harden is left-handed. They were okay with letting him run into the paint. They would let him run. If you want to shoot a floater from the elbow, feel free. They would have Brooke Lopez waiting underneath, or maybe maybe Giannis underneath to contest. It wasn't just going to be a layup. If Harden wanted to shoot, it was going to be have to be a floater or a runner on his way in, and it was going to have to be from about the elbow to halfway to the block, which isn't a great look. It's not a horrible look, but it's not the ideal look. They did not want to allow James Harden to create his own step-back three or some kind of three-point shot. They didn't want him to get all the way to the rim, so they said, you know what, we're going to open the door. We're going to open the door, not the door. We're going to open the door. We're going to let you go a little bit, and then we're going to come meet you with a shot blocker. The Bucks' defense last night was very, very, very good. Eric Bledsoe doing a very good job defending James Harden, and by the way, Eric Bledsoe was the best player on the court last night for either team. He had 23 points, including, and get this, I had to check this because when I saw the graphic last night, I almost didn't believe it. 16 straight points for the Bucks at one point were scored by Eric Bledsoe. Felt his shooting hand get hot in, in, the, th- in the third quarter, and that kind of transferred into the beginning of the fourth as well, which is really when the Bucks gapped the Rockets. Eric Bledsoe is obviously a huge part of it, and we talked about it. We have been talking about it throughout the regular season up until this point. When the Bucks have maybe gotten a rut or they're struggling to get going, Eric Bledsoe has been that energizer. He's been that spark plug. He'll go get you a tough bucket. right? He'll, he'll make a great defensive play, a block, or a really athletic play that, that really gives the home crowd reason to stand up or a reason for the away crowd to, to maybe quiet down. Eric Bledsoe has been that guy. When you need a play, he's going to go and make it. Last night, we saw a little bit of that again. It was a very back-and-forth game. Uh, throughout most of the first half, the Bucks got off to a cold start playing from behind. It was close at halftime. And then in the third quarter, back-and-forth, back-and-forth. Well, and then Eric Bledsoe happened. Right? Then Eric Bledsoe took over. Scoring 16 straight points. And at that point, the Bucks really never looked back. Last night, Giannis, like I said, 19-14 and 14 with four assists. He did have a block and a steal. It, it, a good game. I would have liked to see Giannis get above 20 just because it's like, do you want to buy the product for, for $4.99 or, or the product for $5? It's, it's that mental thing when you look at it. You know there's not a huge difference between 19 and 20 points, but there's something to be said for getting to that 20 mark or getting from 28 to 30. It's only a one or two point difference, but but that first number in that double digit changing, that, that makes a big difference for some reason on the stat sheet. Giannis 19 and 14 last night. Uh, impressive. Not otherworldly, not necessarily your MVP stamping game, but it wasn't exactly that for James Harden yesterday either. The Bucks defense doing a lot of the work, and it looked weird. So if you were watching the Bucks for maybe the first time last night, or you're not a huge NBA watcher, or you just thought, hey, let's give the Bucks a try. Been talking about them a lot on the Wisco Sports Show. Heck, Scrady's even getting interested in the Bucks 
when it comes to mornings with Dave and Scrady here on, on WKTY. I got to check out this team. And you watched last night and you thought, man, what the heck are they doing on defense? They're just standing around. They're looking lazy. Well, it was by design. Take away James Harden's left hand. Don't let him create a step back three, which for most players, you'd let him take all day long. James Harden, not the case. We're going to let him drive and we're going to give him that window from the elbow to about halfway to the block. About a four or five foot stretch where if you want to shoot a runner, you want to shoot a floater or pull up and shoot a jump shot with all your momentum carrying you towards the basket, take it. We'll give it to you. And that's for the most part where James Harden's 23 points came from. From For the most part. He did have one three-point shot from the corner right away in the first half. But for the most part, Bledsoe taking away his left hand, taking away his jump shot and forcing him to drive. To either try to create contact or shoot a runner. Those are your two options. Neither one of them, it was tough sledding for for James Harden last night. We got a lot to cover today. Uh, Jordy Nelson retired. I I don't know what it means. I've been thinking about the Green Bay Packers for the last couple of days and and something that's kind of stuck in my in my craw. It's kind of rubbed me the wrong way the last couple of months. I want to talk about that. And Jordy Nelson is a great vehicle to have this conversation. So that's coming up at 5.30. Tomorrow's opening day for the Milwaukee Brewers, isn't it? It's pretty crazy. Been talking about spring training and, you know, what are they going to do with this position? All of a sudden, bam, here it is. So we're going to talk about that to wrap up the show as well. I want to continue the Bucks conversation because one of the most impressive things from last night is not something that the national media would get excited about, not something that Stephen A. Smith or Colin Cowherd's going to get excited about. The one thing from last night's game that only us Bucks fans could appreciate and get hyped about, and that really told the story last night. I'll tell you exactly what I mean coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports. Don't go anywhere. Back quick here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY, presented by Play It Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a good evening. Still, hopefully, Bucks fans riding that fun game last night. They defeated the Houston Rockets 108-94. If you weren't a Bucks fan, last night's game was probably a disappointment. If you're a Rockets fan, certainly. But everybody else in NBA fandom for whatever team, or maybe you don't have a team, you're just a fan of the NBA, last night's game was... The MVP matchup, Harden, on to Kumpo. Who's going to come away uh, with the MVP in just mere days when the regular season wraps up? Well, we really didn't get an answer last night. The Rockets lost, so for every other fan base in the league except the Milwaukee Bucks, last night was a disappointment. So, hey, you know what? We came out on top last night, Bucks fans. You got to love that. You can join the show by joining me on the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. Twitter's open as well. You can find me at Grant. Station and all of us here at WKTY. 108-94 was the final score last night. It really wasn't that close. Not that that score would indicate a nail-biter by any stretch, but it, it was mostly a 20-point deficit throughout two-thirds of the third quarter uh, and into the fourth as well. And and I said, the whole conversation is going to be driven by Giannis, going to be driven by Harden. A lot of people giving credit to Coach Budenholzer this morning as well, and, and rightfully so for the job that the Bucks did as a team last night defending the Rockets and, and doing a good job of finding a unique way to defend James Harden to, yeah, he's going to get 23 points, but he's going to do it in a very inefficient way. He went 9 of 26 from the field, 1 of 9 from 3, not allowing him to shoot that step, that comfortable step-back 3 that he likes, not obviously allowing him to get any catch-and-shoot opportunities, not that the ball moves 
on the Rockets without first moving through James Harden, right? So it's not like he has a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities. He dominates the ball quite a bit. Coach Budenholzer getting the credit. Giannis and Harden dominating a lot of the conversation this morning. What went by the wayside and what can only be appreciated by Bucks fans uh, and Bucks, I don't know, radio people like myself. And that, that's how the Bucks supporting cast played last night. And we talked about Eric Bledsoe. He had 23, including 16 straight, to really help get the Bucks going in the third quarter and start to run away. Brooke Lopez was good as well with 13 points. He was 3 of 5 for me on the three-point line. I tell you what, I... I just laugh when Brooke Lopez starts canning threes because it, it here we are almost 80 games later and I and I still am not used to seeing Brooke Lopez splashing threes from out on the lettering where it says Pfizer form right in front of the scores table. It's just weird. It's weird. It's like a meme going on on the basketball court. He had 13 points, five of three from beyond the arc. The supporting cast that I'm talking about is Sterling Brown, who actually started last night for Tony Snell, who was starting for Nikola Mirotic, who was starting for, for Malcolm Brogdon. DJ Wilson, Ursan Ilyasova, Pat Connaughton. And you know what? George Hill was pretty good last night. He didn't have a ton of scoring, but his presence was, was very good. He had some steals in the backcourt. The ball moved well when he was on the floor. The supporting cast was really, really good last night. Chris Middleton wasn't great. 13 points, 6 of 23. He missed a lot of shots, including seven three-pointers. Look, it's funny because if you would have told me yesterday, okay, Giannis is only going to score 19 points, Chris Middleton's only going to score 13, uh, I'd be like, I don't think they're going to win that game. Even if James Harden doesn't pop off, the Rockets are that good of a team, I wouldn't have picked the Bucks to win. Well, when you have Bledsoe scoring 23, and you have Sterling Brown score 8 in a starting lineup role, DJ Wilson scoring seven, Ilyasova scoring seven, Connaughton scoring 14 and hitting four threes. Look, I'm not just trying to read down the box score to fill time. That makes for poor radio. It's almost death by a thousand cuts, right? You hold Giannis to 19, and that's great. Okay, so Eric Bledsoe goes off. You can live with that because you kept Chris Middleton in check. And because you don't have to deal with Malcolm Brogdon. And okay, Brooke Lopez hits some threes. That's nice. They have a big center. They have a seven-footer who can shoot. That's entertaining. Everybody loves that. But outside of all that, you have DJ Wilson slowly cutting you to death with seven points and, and throwing another seven by Ilya Sowen and 14 from Pat Connaughton. It's death by a thousand cuts over and over and over again. And it's not just scoring. It's not just the scoring statistics that were good for those bench players. And I'm referring to Sterling Brown in a, in a secondary or a tertiary role. I know he was in the starting lineup last night. That's situational, right? Sterling Brown, if everything goes well and this team gets healthy, is not going to be in the starting lineup. As much as I love Sterling Brown, so put that caveat on it. I know Sterling Brown started. I'm referring to him as a role player. Last night, the Bucks bench plus Sterling Brown. DJ Wilson plus 11. Ursan Ilyasova plus 8. George Hill plus 10. Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton plus 15 last night. Good things were happening when they were rotating these, these bench players through the court. And that's why Giannis could rest. He only played 33 minutes. He had a big, a, a big portion, a big slot of rest right in the middle of the fourth quarter. And I'm watching the game with some friends who aren't Bucks fans. I was listening to the commentary. I was on Twitter. People saying, man, Giannis isn't even on the on the court in the fourth quarter. And we were promised this huge NBA MVP heavyweight bout. Giannis didn't have to be on the court. Because good things were happening when Sterling Brown was playing. And DJ Wilson was playing. And Pat Connaughton was playing. He might have had his best game of the year last night. Certainly shooting the ball, he had his best game of the year. Giannis had the capability to go rest. 
Their role players last night were efficient. They were effective. And they had some flashy plays as well. That highlight that I played to open the show, let's actually pull that back up. The highlight that I played to open the show was a steal by Giannis. The pass goes to George Hill, then to Pat Connaughton, and then an alley-oop to Giannis on the other end with no dribbles in between. And Ted Davis is a professional NBA play-by-play man. There's a steal, a pass, a pass, and a pass. And the third pass is obviously the slam dunk. And it happens so quickly. Listen to this again. He can barely keep up. Down low. Giannis pokes it away. There's a steal. Swing it out to Hill. Connaughton. Lob to Giannis. Slam it. Pat Connaughton set him up at the rim. Giannis grabbed it. Nailed it to the wood. And I've done enough play-by-play. And I'm by, by no means a professional. Trust me. If you've listened to a central game, I hope you enjoy uh, listening to central games with me. But I'm not a polished. I'm not a professional trained-sounding play-by-play broadcaster. And, and Ted Davis, steal by Yon. Okay, out to Hill. Connaughton, alley-oop to Yon. It happened so quickly. It was efficient. There wasn't unnecessary movement, unnecessary dribbling. There was a direction. There was an idea. It flowed well, even with two or three role players, bench players, mixed into the fold last night. The Bucks didn't. I, I don't think the Bucks had an A plus game from their starting lineup. Giannis uh, had a, a B minus game for his standards. Middleton had had like a C. If I would have had to grade his game, and thirteen points isn't miserable, but the, there were a lot of shot attempts that just didn't go. It's not like he was selective. He, he was six of twenty three total. Brooke Lopez had a great game. I mean, if he's hitting threes and and keeping James Harden away from the bucket and protecting the rim as much as he can, he's doing his job. Say he had an A game. Eric Bledsoe had an A-plus game, but then they they basically lose that starting spot to Sterling Brown, who only had eight. As much, as much as I like him, like I said, he had some good plays last night, but it's not like the Bucks had 30 from Giannis and 20 from Middleton. Now, Eric Bledsoe scoring 23, like I said, helps, but 16 of those points came in, in one run. The Bucks' role players last night, their depth last night was on display. Now, the only concern I have about that... It, I think in the NBA, in the NBA playoffs, there can be such a thing as too much depth. Because in the playoffs, Giannis isn't going to be playing 33 minutes. He's going to be playing probably 37 to 39, maybe 40. James Harden played 38 last night. Chris Paul, 32. Capella and Tucker played 36. If Chris Paul was in his prime, if he was younger, he probably would have been up there around 36, 37 as well. Giannis only 33, had some time to rest. Middleton, 34. 30 for Lopez. 29 for Eric Bledsoe. 29, that's all. Well, in the playoffs, that's going to change. Giannis is going to play about five more minutes than he did last night. Middleton, probably one or two more minutes than he did. Lopez, maybe two or three more. They like their depth at the five and at the four position, so Lopez is probably going to be on the lower end. He was 30 last night. I would expect him to be around 33, 34 in the playoffs, maybe. Bledsoe at 29, I would imagine he's going to be closer to 34 as well. And Sterling Brown, it just depends. But that will be Malcolm Brogdon's role, and they need him on the court as much as possible, which means there's going to be less minutes. DJ Wilson isn't playing 16 minutes in a playoff game, especially when Miritich comes back as well. We can't forget about about Brogdon. Can't forget about Miritich. DJ Wilson's going to be playing less. Ursan Ilyasova, I actually think that his natural role has kind of stayed the same all season long, uh, injury notwithstanding. But George Hill played 21 minutes. I don't think that's going to be the case in the playoffs. Pat Connaughton, I mean, if he's playing 31 minutes, it must be for a reason in the playoffs, and I'm going to get out of the way. (laughs) But I can't imagine that he's going to be playing 35, uh, 31 minutes. I can't imagine he'd be over 25 in the playoffs. The rosters shrink. Not not literally, but, but the rotations shrink from, you know, 10 players, maybe 11 players even at times, to 
eight, nine for the deepest teams, right? And, and the Bucks are this team in the Eastern Conference, similar to Toronto, but unlike Philadelphia in the fact that they have a ton of depth. Philly doesn't have depth. They traded away. They mortgaged their depth for superstars on the front end. So my question is, when the Bucks play Philadelphia, or even Boston to some extent, because they they traded at the time some of their depth, more so in draft picks and 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 a player at the time for Kyrie Irving. Do the Bucks have too much depth? Could that actually be a problem? Am I crazy, or am I just looking for something to nitpick here? The Phillies, or not the Phillies, the Sixers had Dario Saric and they had Robert Cumming. They traded him away for Jimmy Butler. They wanted a star. They traded away players for Tobias Harris and picks. They wanted a star. So when the minutes go up for the superstar players and for the starting lineup, and, and when the rotation shrinks, are the Bucks still going to be okay? Because last night was a lot of fun. I love watching DJ Wilson play. I love watching Sterling Brown play. But is that just going to be, and I, I don't want to say dead weight, because that's not what it will be. But at some point, are the Bucks going to wish that instead of a, a hefty handful of great depth players, great bench players, that they would have moved some of those players for higher level starter, maybe even star caliber players. I, I don't know. Only time will tell. That's the only thing that I can take away from last night and say, yeah, but, yeah, but when the playoffs start, w- will this be the same? I don't I don't know. The biggest piece right now for the Bucks is they're going to secure home court advantage throughout the playoffs, and it all starts and ends there at the Fiserv Forum, which was rowdy last night. Brooke Lopez talked about that. Well, let's hear from Brooke Lopez quick. As we wrap up the Bucks. no better person to hear from than Brooke Lopez talking about the energy, the effort on defense, and how last night's game was, it just felt different. Man, I'm just uh, so proud of our guys. We came out, you know, and uh, first off, the fans were just so electric. They brought a great energy to the game, definitely lifted us up. And, uh, you know, we just played with such great energy and great trust. Getting closer and closer to that one seed and having playoff uh, home court advantage throughout the NBA postseason. That's the biggest part for the Bucks right now. Getting healthy, maintaining that one seed, and everything else is just secondary because we're only speculating. We're only throwing ideas out there. We're only just having conversation. Because right now, getting healthy in the one seed is the only concrete thing, the only surefire thing uh, that we can focus on with the Milwaukee Bucks right now. Last night didn't tell us much about the MVP. Didn't tell us definitively how the Bucks are going to do in the playoffs. Didn't say when Malcolm Brogdon's coming back, when Nikola Mirotic is coming back, they get closer to the one seed, and Giannis is able to rest in the fourth quarter as well. They're going to get healthier and hopefully hit the playoffs uh, in their stride. Jordy Nelson... It's calling it a career. Did you see that this morning? I want to talk about that coming up next and how it affects the Packers. Not directly. I'm not here to talk about how I want Jordy Nelson to come back or or this or that. I I got a conversation I want to have about the Green Bay Packers, and and I think Jordy Nelson is going to be the perfect vehicle to do it. We'll do that when the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Again Sports, returns on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Again Sports, right here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good day, enjoying that Bucks win, enjoying what is hopefully, fingers crossed, turning out to be an MVP season for Giannis, uh, and looking closer and closer to a certain one seed and home court advantage throughout the playoffs for the Bucks. Part of the big news today, and, and of course, any, t- any, any time that this player makes the news for any reason, it's just a, it's just a circus. As someone who is on Twitter con- constantly to a negative level, 
I, I actually get sick of this. Jordy Nelson has not played in Wisconsin now for what is it going to be closer to closer to two years, and he's still he might as well be the biggest star on their most successful team. I love Jordy Nelson. He was really good for the Packers for a long time. He was very classy. I understand he kind of had a small town feel and he fit Green Bay. So naturally, everybody's getting fired up. You know, Jordy Nelson's retiring today, and and rightfully so. you got to give him credit. We've been paying tribute. I've seen videos. I've seen pictures uh, and long posts by media members, uh, people of the Packers and and players, what have you, former coaches, players, everything. Everybody loves Jordy Nelson, and I do too, and that's fine. I'm I'm not trying to... I probably sound like a Jordy Nelson hater. I I am the opposite of that. I love Jordy Nelson. It was fascinating watching the, the conversation today get dominated by a player who is retiring who does not play currently for any of our teams, did not play for a Wisconsin college, is not from Wisconsin. It is amazing to me how this this state has embraced and continues to embrace Jordy Nelson. Uh, obviously, people talking about how he wants to, ret- how he should retire as a Packer. I, I don't know if that's anything that Jordy Nelson is interested in. I would be interested to sit down in a room with Jordy Nelson and ask if he feels the same way about Green Bay that Green Bay and the state feels about him, or if it was just another team. You know what I mean? Maybe that's a cynical way to think about it. People saying that Jordy Nelson should come back and retire. I saw a tweet from Andy Herman from Cheesehead TV uh, saying that not only should he retire as a Packer, but he should play in a preseason game to catch one last pass from Rodgers, throw on number 87 again, be in Lambeau Field one more time. And yeah, that sounds that sounds wonderful. That sounds really cool. I don't necessarily know why Jordy Nelson would do that. Maybe. Maybe. I thought it was a cool idea. That gave me a smile this afternoon. But he's going to retire, whether it's a Packer or as whoever. Uh, it's a more symbolic thing than anything else. This is what has been bothering me the last couple of weeks, and, and really the last couple of months, back into the Packers' regular season as well. This has been an off-season of change, right? We've seen guys like Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews go and sign elsewhere with other teams, and that was not a surprise to us, right? We kind of figured, because we had been told over and over and over again by the Bill Michaels of the world, by the Aaron Naglers of the world, the end of this season, going to clear cap space by moving off the expensive and aging contracts of Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews. And any time that you would try to say, but what about? Or, well, what if this happened? Or, do you think the Packers are considering this? Or, what if Brian Gutekunst, and it's always met with, it's it's time to move on, right? It's time to move on. Have you ever seen a scene, a situation, an image like we saw in week 17 when Randall Cobb and Aaron Rodgers were hugging and crying in the end zone because they knew deep down that it was the last game they were ever going to play again together? Have you ever seen that before? Does that happen in other franchises? Because the language is condescending and it's really, really annoying to hear people say it's time to move on. Oh, it's very rare to see guys get a third contract in Green Bay. Like it's like it's taboo. Like it's decided like it's in the Bible. Right? It's time to move on at the end of the season. Well, what if what if Cobb wants to do it for cheap? What if he wants it's time to move on? Well, what if they bring Jordy Nelson back? What if he's cheap? Move on. So, move, it, it's like that that wise grandfather. It's time to move on, son. Like like when the goldfish dies and he doesn't really understand, because let's be real, I don't know if Packers fans have really processed the fact that Jordy Nelson is no longer on the team. It's like the wise the wise grandpa or, or the dad saying, son, it was just time. It's time to move on. It was time for little Freddie to get flushed down the toilet. Like, it's the, it's the same thing. 
It's time to move on. And you try to say, well, what if this contract happens? Or, or what if they, they say, Clay, we want to put you here and we want to schedule. No, it's, it's really. You don't see guys get a third contract in Green Bay. I hate that. I hate that condescending language. Hate it when people talk down to you like that. Randall Cobb signed for one year, $5 million. One year, $5 million. How many times have I talked about on this show in the last couple of weeks alone? If it's a one-year deal, I don't care how much money you spend. Because it's not going to handcuff you down the line. It's not going to burn up your salary cap next year or the year after. What's the pain in a one-year deal? If Randall Cobb wanted to come back to Green Bay for one year, $5 million, hell yes! 100%. Because as much as I like Devontae Adams, what if he gets hurt? As much as I think their three young wide receivers are promising, what if they have a sophomore slump, a la Devontae Adams? But, well, Devontae Adams is there to take the pressure off the three young. What if Devontae Adams gets hurt? You see, it's it's very easy for these situations to be created. It's, it's, a, it's a line of dominoes, and we've seen that in the past with Packers with injuries, right? One corner go, get, goes down, everybody's shifted up a spot, and no one can handle it. Jordy Nelson gets hurt, and Devontae Adams isn't ready for the big load in year two. What if Devontae Adams gets... What if Geronimo Allison can't get healthy next year. But to be so dismissive, regardless of contractual details, and regardless of how much he's going to pay, guaranteed or non-guaranteed, signing bonus, what have you, it's time to move on. Plain and simple, the door is shut. That's close-minded thinking. That's thinking with the light switch either on or off, the door open or closed. The best thinkers, the best workers, the smartest, most successful people don't think that way. How many times do we hear every player is is tradable for a price? No player is untouchable, right? Why then, in my opinion, no free agent should be unsignable because there's got to be a dollar amount to make every deal work. There's got to be a dollar amount where now all of a sudden it makes sense for the team and it's time to move on and well, he's not going to get a third contract. You never see that in Green Bay. Well, what if his third contract is really cheap? What if he wants to stay in Green Bay? Or what if he only wants to, well, let's do one more year so I can get healthy and I can prove myself again. And who better to prove myself with than Aaron Rodgers? But no, Randall Cobb had to go. Clay Matthews had to go. Two years, nine and and a quarter million dollars. He had to go. Depth is good. Veteran players are good, especially when they have chemistry with each other. Randall Cobb and Aaron Rodgers, they get along. Clay Matthews has been playing in Green Bay. He's been playing with some of these players for a while. They get along. So annoying. It was time to move on. Like I'm a child who just lost a goldfish and doesn't understand that Larry the goldfish is dead, so we're going to flush him down the toilet. It's, it's Son, come on. It's, it's time to move on. Don't talk, don't talk down to me like that. Randall Cobb signed for a year and five million bucks. That's it. And it was the same with Jordy Nelson. Well, no. Well, what if Jordy Nelson wants to come back? He was cut by the Raiders. It's they. We have moved on. Like it's an ex-lover who, if we if we bring back and if we meet for lunch one day, it's going to spiral out of control into some toxic relationship. It, we've moved on. The door is closed. Why? I'm not saying the Packers made a huge mistake by not bringing Jordy Nelson back. That's not, I, I I don't want that to be the narrative. I don't. I'm not even saying that the Packers should have brought Jordy Nelson back. But I'm so sick of the language. I'm so sick of the conversation revolving around the Green Bay Packers. The do no wrong. Green and gold. We've moved on. Well, I tell you what. If Jordan Nelson wanted to come back this year and play for the the, the minimum, or not the minimum, but a one-year deal for, for a couple million bucks, 
and retires in Green Bay and, and come back and play with Aaron Rodgers? Hell yes! I don't care if emotionally we've gotten over it. Or you think that Aaron Rodgers, now that Aaron uh, Jordy Nelson is gone, he's had to move on and become the better quarterback. I don't care. There's a dollar amount. There's a price to make every player work. Just like every player is tradable for a price, every free agent should be signable for a price. So why can't we have an open conversation about bringing back Randall Cobb? Why can't we have an open conversation about, wait, what if Jordy wants to come back and play in Green Bay? Be a nice depth piece. He wouldn't have to play all the time. He wouldn't have to carry a huge load. But no, no, emotionally, we've gotten over it. Because people in Green Bay cannot handle Jordy Nelson leaving the team another time. I, I get so sick of it. And I sound upset. I'm not really upset at anyone. I'm upset with the process of thinking. I'm upset with the line of thinking where once you have made up your mind that this player is is now all of the sudden too old or or this player is 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 over the hill or too injury prone that, that you can't bring him back the numbers on a contract matter the the situation matters this is bothering me 6087962558 let's go to the five star telecom talk and text line we're talking Jordy Nelson so naturally the conversation is going to get going caller welcome to the Wisco Sports show you're on the air hey Grant um I'm not opposed to Jordy, but here's the problem I have with it, and 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 it's it's strictly a talent issue. Who are you going to cut of the young receivers we got? Who's going to go? It's a fair question. That's that's who I want to know because then you're talking either because it's not Jerome, it's not going to be Allison. No, it's got to be Saint Brown, Jamon Moore. Okay, maybe there, and it it's not going. Valdez ain't going anywhere. No, I agree. I would probably go with Jamon Moore. That would probably be my pick. Right. Potentially. Right. And and unfortunately, our history says that when we do things like that, we get burned. <laughs> this is he's true. Got, you know what I'm saying? We did it with Casey Hayward, turned into an all-pro. You know what I'm saying? You let a guy go before his time, he's a cheaper contract than Jordy for sure. No, and, and right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. You're getting farther down the line than I am. I'm just saying the door has been so shut, right? Have you not have you not noticed this? We've moved on, oh. right? And, and it's almost taboo to even bring it up. Oh, if Jordy said he'd come back to the Packers for the league minimum or whatever, try it. Because if they, if they, let's just say this, let's say they reignited some chemistry and it was only at the goal line, I'd take that for That's a worth touchdown. It. 100%. That's worth it, right? Yep, absolutely. I, I For lo- league minimum, certainly. I, I love that. I would do it in a heartbeat. I, I, amen, and I appreciate the call. I agree. That's the if it's only. For third and one, third and two, that's the only time that it ever really comes through and makes a difference. Then it's worth it. If it's only on goal line situations where you're inside uh, the five yard line, and, and you just need that extra little thing, then it's worth it. Packers fans, we we have it in our mind that. Well, if he's not scoring X number of touchdowns and he's not still blowing the cover off of defenses, then it's no. We've moved on and we've moved on for a reason. Everybody is attainable. Every free agent is signable for a price, just like every player is tradable for a price. Man, it, it, it just blows me away. And that that was a great call. First of all, it would probably be Jamon Moore. If Jordy Nelson wanted to come back and sign for a year and I had to ask Jamon Moore to do it, I would, I would 100% do it. And if you listen to the show... I get sick of the Jordy Nelson talk. I get annoyed from the Jordy Nelson talk. And here we are. 
your name talking about Jordy Nelson. 608-796-2558. Real quick before we move on. Scott says, you're right. Every player has value. Jordy is worth two ninety nine. If you can sign him for less than three bucks, go for it. I don't, I would imagine, Scott, you're not being literal with two ninety nine. If you are, I get your point. Uh, and you don't think Jordy Nelson is, is still a viable player in Green Bay. And, and I agree. Or I don't agree. Uh, but if you mean two ninety nine uh, as a figurative amount, then I agree one hundred percent. Every player has a value, whether or not emotionally you have moved on, because it makes Packers fans sound like divas. Because we've gotten over it, we can't possibly make. Give me a break. I want to win football games. I don't care about the number on the jersey. I don't care if he's played here before or not. If it makes sense and you can do it for a value, then do it one hundred percent. Because that's that's what wins games. We're going to move on. I want, I want to transition to Brewers because opening day is tomorrow, and we don't have a lineup to talk about, unfortunately. Wouldn't that be fun? Although we're pretty sure we know. We'll talk about that. And also, I was looking at some odds, looking at some statistics, specifically from 538, which is one of the premier uh, statistic sites, statistical analysis sites, not only for sports, but for economics and for politics as well. I want to take a look at that and, and, and maybe put it out there and get your opinion, and we can revisit it here in the next couple of days as Brewer season gets underway. That all coming up and more. We're going to wrap up the Wisco Sports Show presented by Played Against Sports coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Presented, of course, by Play It Again Sports. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Running short on time. We only got a couple of minutes, but what better way to spend it than talking about tomorrow's opening day for the Milwaukee Brewers? Of course, they're playing the St. Louis Cardinals, which not necessarily last year or the year before, but possibly this year, Cardinals could be the number one competition to both the Cubs and the Brewers to win the division. Making some some very hefty moves this offseason, some worrying moves uh, in, in the case of the Milwaukee Brewers, who are going to be the defending NL Central champs. Uh, interesting news today, and, and it's not official until tomorrow. Uh, the Brewers announced they don't anticipate any changes or last-minute ads. So their injured list tomorrow will start with five pitchers, Jeremy Jeffers, Corey Knable, Jimmy Nelson, Brent Suter. And uh, J- was it Jacob Wall? I'm sorry for not remembering. But Wall, uh, the the player who was injured during spring training as well, the relief pitcher. So those are your five names. Two from the bullpen, two from the starting rotation. Although with the number of starting pitchers that are now on the team and now have been elevated from the bullpen, I, I can't, I, I don't know what Brent Suter's role on the team is. It's a long, it's a long time off. Uh, so we don't necessarily need to focus on it right now. But Jimmy Nelson hopefully expected back. Jeremy Jeffress and Corey Knable cannot get back soon enough. And they have yet to actually miss any games. So tomorrow's opening day, you can hear it on WKTY. Uh, I was checking out some of the odds, some of the predictions. The site that I'm always gravitating towards is 538, uh, which is, it, it's just a statistics website. Deals in data, uh, deals in surveys, and it not only does sports, but it does politics, economics, it, it polls. It does everything, which gives it a little bit more holistic feel uh, and a little bit less biased feel. It's just presenting facts. At least that's what I would like to think. Maybe I'm being fooled. This is how they forecasted the NL Central. The Brewers are the favorite to win the division. They're twenty. They're 29% chance to win the division. So nobody's a great favorite. They they have them shaping out at 86 wins and 76 losses. And, and remember, right? We talked about the over-under predictions for the Brewers' win total. And it wasn't tremendous. Neither was the Cubs or the Cardinals or anyone in the division. Because baseball has so many games, so many games in the division, 
if you have a strong division, you're, no team is going to do great because you're going to beat up on each other. The Cardinals are expected to be much better. The Reds, I don't know how good, but are expected to be much better. The Pirates are never awful. They're always just a mediocre team. The Cubs are great. Brewers are great. Everyone's going to beat up on, them, on on themselves. So to think that the Brewers are forecasted to win the NL Central at 86 wins, only 10 games over 500, sounds about right. Sounds about like you would expect with a really good division. So, and this is all the percentages when everything shakes off. Their run differential. I mean, they have everything analyzed right down to the run differential, which right now is at plus 42. 46% chance to make the playoffs, which is, I'll take those odds. You kidding me? Brewers have only made the playoffs a handful of times in my lifetime. 46%, I'll take that. 29%, like I said, to win the division and the World Series odds sit at 4%, as they do for the Cardinals. Cubs at 3%. Pirates and Reds both won apiece. I don't know where the Brewers are going to fall in the division because I have yet to see if the Reds are going to gel. I've yet to see if the Cardinals are going to gel or if they're going to remain healthy this year or what's going on with the Cubs. There's been a lot of discussion about Joe Madden and and with Theo Epstein. Is he the guy that they want to ride with moving forward? There's a lot of variables. The Pirates, I, I don't even know what the Pirates are going to be. They're never awful, but they're never amazing. They're always right in the middle. I like Clint Hurdle. I like what they're doing. I just don't know how good they're going to be. There's a lot of question marks. You know how I feel about those. I'm not making any predictions. I'm not doing anything because not only do I not care, my win prediction, I know you definitely don't care about what Grant Bills on the Wisco Sports Show predicts to happen to the Brewers. Just passing along what 538 is presented. Tomorrow, I would imagine the starting lineup, Bron Kane Yelich in the outfield, Shaw, Arcia, Mustakis, Aguilar around the diamond, and then Shasin and Grandal. Like that, that would be a pretty safe bet. That would be a pretty safe prediction, right? I don't know how they're going to stack the batting order, the lineup top to bottom, one through nine, but I would imagine that's what the field is going to look like. I'd feel like that's a pretty safe bet. Can't wait. We're back in it. We're back in the swing of things. Just think tomorrow, moving forward, we're going to have starting lineups to talk about. We're going to have strategy with, with, Pitchers in the bullpen versus the starting rotation, and and how are they going to platoon certain players, and how's Mike Mustakis going to play at second base? Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm excited, and I can't wait. We will be back tomorrow, uh, Brewers opening day, and we're going to have Brewers coverage all throughout the season here on WK2I. So check WK2iSports.com for all the times, uh, for all the, the locations of the game. If we got Bucks, Brewers going at the same time, you can find that information on our website. As for the Wisco Sports Show, we'll be back tomorrow. I'll talk to you then.